This week on Off the Crossbar, the deadlines are looming. NLL awards are in full swing. The U.S. box, the U18 crew is in town. U19 worlds are coming to town. And could the NLL go to Vegas? Maybe even Dallas. All that and more on OTCB. I am an outlaw. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud. My name is Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me at the show, you can. Real simple. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter. I'm pretty much there all the time. At Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. It is a lacrosse show. It is a Reese Dutch lacrosse pun. The season looms on and continues to unfold as we get set to crown national champions, provincial champions, and see who will play in all those championships. But there's still a lot of things going on um, outside of senior and junior lacrosse. Uh, We have the World Under-19 Field Lacrosse coming to town in July in Coquitlam. Uh, 14 nations will be in Coquitlam uh, for, I think it's about a two-week span in the early part of July, out in Coquitlam at Town Center Field, um, there is going to be a lot of people, and we hope to talk to a lot of those people next week. We are hoping to have some of them this week. However, travel, duties, jobs, lives, family, all those things that going into trying to book a guest on a podcast slash radio show, not always that easy. Um, so this week, we're just flying solo. Uh, We'll probably try to keep it a little short and compact. It's a hot summer day. I don't really want to be cooped up in a studio much more than I have to. But we still got to talk about some things. There are some interesting discussions going around. Um, Brody Burkhoff got four-game suspension from the MLS a couple weeks ago, or sorry, MSL uh, a couple weeks ago. I didn't really touch on that. Um, A lot of people were comparing his suspension to Daniel Amesbury's suspension and how come the major series league didn't, you know, offer a $25,000 surety bond? Well, apples to oranges, as they say, and with no real video evidence or video footage or webcasting done out east, it's kind of tough for me to see a lot of those incidents. But, you know, the MSL does a fairly good job of being proactive instead of retroactive. And from basically those that I talked to and what I've heard, it's fairly okay. Four games, maybe a bit excessive, but if you want to curtail this stuff, you got to come down hard, and so they did. Uh, What else is going on in the world of lacrosse? Uh, Like I said, kind of off the top, U.S. Boxle is sending another group of kids through Canada to terrorize the northern part of the continent. Uh, they played their first game the other night against the Coquitlam uh, Intermediates. A U.S. Boxle U18 National Club is uh, working its way through B.C. They are playing five games in seven nights, I believe. They will end their little tour in Victoria against the Intermediate Shamrocks on Saturday, 1.30, I believe, is face-off. But there's games all week in the Lower Mainland. They played Sunday and lost to the Coquitlam Adenax. 
They'll play tonight, Tuesday, against the Langley Thunder. Tomorrow night, Wednesday, against the Richmond Roadrunners. They'll get a day off. Then they'll play a Canada Day game against the New Westminster Samuels. That'll be kind of cool. And then they'll catch a ferry and head over here to the island to take on the Intermediate Shamrocks. That is indeed a 1-30 faceoff at the Q Centre. It was 13-5 in the game against Coquitlam. So uh, still a long way to go for these kids, but it's a group that has played together for quite a bit now. It's not just a throw-together team. This is a team that's kind of been built together. Uh, They're familiar with each other, so they're starting to build a little bit of cohesion. So uh, expect the results to improve over the next five or six days while they're here. And then I believe, because a lot of these kids uh, are D1 prospects, they'll kind of disperse. And then at the same time, the Calilax All-Stars and the Denver Elite crew are in town. They're doing some camps and clinics on the mainland, getting in a few scrimmage games here and there if they can. And then they are off to Calgary to compete in the uh, famous, legendary, and one of my favorite tournaments, the Canada Day Lacrosse Tournament in Calgary at the start of July. Um, they will be heavily tested, and last year I believe they won it. Yeah, last year um, in the 2015 Bantam Final, it was Denver Elite versus Cali Lax. Like that is not something you would actually expect to happen. And that's not a knock on these kids, but it's a pretty prestigious tournament. Um, Not every team from BC goes, but you usually get a good grouping of BC teams, and the Alberta Lacrosse Clubs are always there. But you can get these two teams, Denver Elite and Cadillacs All-Stars, to come north, compete in a very prestigious tournament north of the border. You know, in confines they're not used to. Um, There's still some rules and things that these kids aren't used to. But for them both to play in the gold medal final, the Bantam division is just uh, absolutely phenomenal. So congratulations to everybody from last year. And I know this year they are going to be uh, in full force, ready to take on the best that tournament has to offer. Just looking at uh, the Bantam A division um, that Denver Elite and Cali Lax were in last year. Uh, you have the Kamloops Ratners, the Junior Stealth. There's another American-based team. Uh, the Chiefs, the Penticton Heat, the Kodiaks, Team Saskatchewan, the Posse, Denver Elite, Calilax, Hoax, Hornets, uh, SALA, Bantam, Sting, the Axemen, and the Rocky View, Rocky View Rage. So a lot of those teams are Alberta-based. Um, some of them are interior BC-based. So not a lot of mainland teams, actually none at all, in the Bantam A division. Um, but just taking a quick look at the Midget A Division, all Alberta teams, the Saskatchewan team, again, a couple interior teams, and then Denver Elite and Calilax All-Stars down to the Peewee A Division. Uh, same thing, Calilax, Denver there, Junior Stealth, then Alberta teams, interior teams, and Saskatchewan teams as well. So uh, a good mishmash of teams, uh, not the elite teams from BC. You know, you're not seeing Coquitlam's or Juan de Fuca, uh, Semiamu, New West, Delta, any of these clubs, they're not sending their groups because a lot of them are focusing on provincials that are coming up in the next few weeks. So uh, it's still fantastic, fantastic caliber of lacrosse and a great way for these kids to really test themselves against Canadians who have grown up playing the game and have a true understanding. And you never get that experience unless you actually 
come and take on the, the those teams. So uh, we'll keep you up to date on that. We'll try and, just like we do with a lot of things, we'll try and touch base with some of those teams and maybe get one of their coaches on and, and just have a little chat with them and just see the progress of everything that's going on with U.S. box across. Because in a month's time, actually a little bit over a month's time, will be the U.S. Nationals in San Jose. And it's not just American teams going. Uh, there are Canadian teams that will be heading down to that. I know there's two from the island. Uh, the Chili Willie Lacrosse program and the Outlaws Lax program are heading down. Uh, I believe there might be another mainland team going down. So uh, there's some definite competition that's going down to this tournament. And the more high-level tournaments that you can have in the States, the better these kids are going to get. So best of luck to all of them. Uh, this week with the U18s playing in BC, I'll be catching up with them on Saturday. And then best of luck to Calilax, Stealthlax, and Denver Elite uh, as they head to the Canada Day Tournament in Calgary. As mentioned, the world is coming to BC. A record high 14 teams to be exact, including uh, the Blue Division, which is Canada, the US, the Iroquois, Australia, and England. The Red Division has Israel, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Germany, Mexico, the Green Division, China, Ireland, Scotland, and Korea. The 2016 World Tournament will be the debut at the U19 level for six teams. Israel, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Mexico, China, and Ireland. The U.S. has never, ever, ever, ever lost this tournament. They have lost games, most recently last year, but they have never lost the tournament. So it'll be interesting to see how things unfold. Taylor Ray is the head coach of Team Canada. Uh, him and... Jeff Snyder and a few of the other guys have put a really good team together. I was just talking with Jeff earlier today um, online. He said the boys are ready. They had a pretty intense month. Um, and it's crazy to think what these kids are doing. Uh, I talked about all the play that guys are doing, you know, from playing Canadian Summer to NLL to MLL and then back to the Canadian Summer. Like, it's a lot of lacrosse. Well, some of these kids are... You know, D1 kids that are playing down south in college and coming back up here to play for Team Canada and also mixed in with that their summer ball schedule. So it's a lot of lacrosse and a lot of weight to be putting on these kids. But July 7th, when that tournament opens, everybody will be treated to a fantastic tournament opening game. The opening ceremonies go at 5.30, and then two hours later, Canada VUS to kick things off. It's going to be good. It appears that um, there will be uh, streams for the game. SportsCanada.tv will be providing web streams of all Blue Division games, the championship quarterfinal semis and gold medal games, plus select green and red division games. It'll all be uh, pay-per-view, so they'll be um, information coming out on that. But if you want more information, go to 2016worldlax.com. Uh, sports no, TV is the website where a lot of the streams will be, um, but you can find that all through the World Lax website. Again, 2016worldlax.com. And it all gets going July 7th and runs all the way to July 16th. Nine days to be exact. I said two weeks. Right in the middle. 
Uh, we were hoping to have Cliff Paskis, one of the directors for the World Games Committee. He was traveling down to California. Um, so we're going to have him on next week. We're also efforting to get Taylor Ray, and we're also going to try and get the U.S. coach, maybe the Iroquois coach, and anybody else that we can get uh, just to come on the show, have him for five, ten minutes, shoot the breeze, see how their team's doing, how they match up, and, and just get a, a feel of what will be one of the best tournaments you will be able to see if you just happen to be in the lower mainland or the vicinity. As mentioned, uh, the National Cross League has been announcing their awards over the past couple weeks, and this week is no different. They've done two so far. Uh, yesterday, they announced the Head Coach of the Year nominees, and your finalists were Derek Keenan, Troy Cordingly, and Glenn Clark. Today, Tuesday, the National Cross League announced their finalists for General Manager of the Year, and those three names are Steve Dietrich of the Bandits, New England's Rich Lisk, and Georgia's John Arlotta. I'm going to get to that in a minute. I just want to kind of go through the other awards in case you've missed it. Last week's nominees for Transition Player of the Year were Jordan McIntosh, Brad Self, and Jeremy Thompson. Goalie of the Year, all Orangeville. For the first time ever, I, I actually I believe it's the first time ever all three nominees have been from the same city, the same minor league, and nobody from Orangeville, if, I, if I'm correct, has ever won Goalie of the Year. And finally, this year, someone's going to do it. Dylan Ward, Nick Rose, Evan Kirk. Uh, Defender of the Year finalists, Chris Corbeil, Ryan Dokes, and Steve Priolo. And the Sportsmanship Award was the first one they announced. And the nominees are Ben McIntosh, Kyle Matisse, and Carson Lee Ung. Uh, there's more awards going to be uh, announced for the rest of this week. Wednesday, they'll announce the Rookie of the Year finalists. Thursday will be the MVP finalists. And then the following week, you'll have Teammate of the Year, Wingman of the Year, and Executive of the Year finalists. And then the following week, they'll announce the Media Person of the Year award winner, the Tom Borelli Award winner. Again, that's the only one where they don't do three finalists. They just outright name a winner. Now back to GM of the Year award. And this is always a tough one because for me, you have to think about how do you gauge it? Is it a guy that went out and just completely revamped his team through free agency? Trades? Draft picks? Or a guy that just kind of had a really good team and kept it together and they were successful? Now, for me, Rich, Gl Rich Lisk of the Black Wolves deserved to be there. He went out and got Suddens. He got Hoare. He got Evans. He brought in a new coaching trio. Um... He did an incredible job building that team. Deserves to be there. Uh, Steve Dietrich only had two picks. Um, he used them nicely. Got Anthony Malcolm. He traded and got Daryl Veltman in the loss of John Grant or sorry, John Tavares. And for the most part, he kept his team together. He didn't make many trades. He wasn't busy in the free agent market, and he kept the group together and had the number one team during the regular season. Now, John Arlotta is the one that really is a head-scratcher to me. Sure, he was able to snag four first-round draft picks in this year's draft, but he didn't do that this year. He had built that over the course of the year, or the years before that, with trades. He didn't make any big splashes in free agency. He lost Callum Crawford, and, you know, 
He brought in Eddie Como. That's good. You know, he made a coaching change. Um, but for me, he didn't do much. And that's why it's such a head scratch. Like, I would have put Steve Govett in there ahead of John Arlotta. Just look at some of the maids, moves made by Govett this year. He brought in Mike Mallory late in the season. He got Callum Crawford pretty much for free. He brought in Chris Wardle for free. He drafted Jordan Gillis in like the sixth to last pick in the National Lacrosse League draft last year. And he got Greg Downing for free. Like those are five moves right there alone that improved his team. And he's not even mentioned. Not even nominated. And Arlotta is back in this conversation for GM of the year and I truly don't believe he did much to deserve it. Like, drafted four players in the first round of the 2015 NLL draft. Great. Let's look how John Arlotta got all those picks. The first overall pick, that came when he traded Kevin Ross to the Philadelphia Wings in exchange for a first-round selection in the 2015 NLL entry draft. That was in July of 2002. He got the third overall pick because that was his drafting spot. That's where he naturally would have drafted. He got the fifth overall pick when he traded Evan Kirk to the Philadelphia Wings for a first-round pick in the 2015 NLL entry draft, which originally was Colorado's, and a first pick in 2017. That was in September of 2013 and he got the sixth overall pick when he traded Ryan Banesh and Andrew Watt to the Bandits in exchange for their first round selection in 2015 a first rounder in 2016 and a third rounder in 2017 that was in July of 2013 as well so other than having a team that didn't make the playoffs last year he got those three other first-rounders in trades that were made three and four years ago. So tell me, what did he do this year, other than bringing in Eddie Como, that deserved him to be GM of the year? Because I truly don't believe that he was the one making those draft selections. For me, it would have been Como and his coaching staff. So something just doesn't sit right with me. But hey, I don't have a vote, so nothing I can do about it. And yet, I just rattled off five or six that Govett made leading up to the draft or in the year that made his team better. How is he not a GM of the year nominee? And I know who votes on these awards. It's the board of governors, the GMs, and the head coaches. But who's voting on these things? There's just so many things that I scratch my head at when I think about some of these awards. The head coaching one, I'm cool with. Uh, the transition player of the year, I didn't really have Brad Self on my radar. I didn't really have Jeremy Thompson. Jeremy Thompson had a great year. Again, wasn't really on my radar. Um, no Joel White. No Alex Keto Hill. Uh, goaltender of the year, I got no issues with it. I might have added Bold in there instead of Rosie. Um, but a lot of people don't think that Boldy had a great regular season. 
he didn't have the greatest, but he was still the league leader in wins, minutes, and save percent, or sorry, goals against average. The defensive player of the year, that's a tough one. Rubish has won the award five years in a row. It's not like he had a bad year, which kind of confused me why he's not on there, but maybe they just felt if we don't put him on there, then he can't win it for a sixth year, and then we don't have to name the award after him. You're going to have to name the award after him eventually. But it, some of these things just confuse me, and I completely get that it's all subjective and it's all what those people, the Board of Governors, the GMs, and the head coaches collectively want to go with. But there's some head scratchers. And for me, the biggest one is John Arlotta and being named for General Manager of the Year. We'll just have to wait and see how all of that plays out. And we'll move on. As I said, there are still more awards to come. Rookie of the Year and MVP this week. So stay tuned. Uh, the NLL usually announces them around uh, 12 Pacific, 3 Eastern. So stick to your computers and Twitter and all that good stuff. Uh, one other thing before we kind of move away from the National Lacrosse League. Well, we'll talk about it in a little bit as well when we kind of talk expansion. There's no, by the way, there's no rumors. There's no, this isn't breaking news. This is just thoughts out of the top of my head and things that I've seen in conversations that I've had with people. Um, one last thing, though, uh, the National Lacrosse League has opened up the Hall of Fame voting, and they're asking for the fans' help. Uh, if they want to make their suggestions, they can use the hashtag NLLHOF. And they can go onto Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and make their selections. Uh, there are a few criteria. A player has to be retired from the National Lacrosse League in order to be eligible for consideration. And it will be considered based on the individual's record, ability, integrity, sportsmanship, character, and contributions to the team and sport. A coach must have coached for at least eight seasons in professional indoor lacrosse. He can be active or retired. An official or referee must be retired and have had officiated within the league for at least eight seasons. An executive have must have been affiliated as an executive with a team or the league for at least eight years. Last year, only one member of the class of 2015 was announced, and that was posthumously for the late Terry Sanderson. The year before that, Pat Coyle and the late Chris Hall. Uh, in 2013, it was Pat O'Toole. In 2012, it was Dietrich. In 2011, it was Watson. The year before that, it was Kilgore, Stroop, and John Tucker. Rich Kilgore, that is. 2009, Dallas Elliott and Jim Veltman. 2008, Sal Acasio, Johnny Meridian, Tony Resch. 07, Mike French, Darius Kilgore, and Tom Marichuk. And the original founding members of the 06 Hall of Fame. Les Bartley, Russ Klein, Chris Fritz, and Paul and Gary Gate. There are two media members involved. Uh, 07, Tom Borelli. In 2008, Neil Stevenson. Now, I don't like to pump too many people's tires. Uh, I don't really like to give away who I'm voting for. Um, but I would like to make a case for a couple of people. And, oh, by the way, there are um, three players. Kevin Finneran, Tracy Kluski, and Gavin Pro will automatically be finalists for this year's Hall of Fame class as they were first-time nominees last year. 
Nominees who don't gain admission into the Hall of Fame in their first year are automatically placed on the ballot the next year. And I believe they have to have 75% of the votes to get in. Now, and that's why a lot of these classes, you know, in the last five years have had very little people. Four of the last five years have had one person. Three of those years were goaltenders. Two of them, may they rest in peace, were, were gentlemen who left us too early, Chris Hall and Terry Sanderson, and the other one was Pat Quote. But just looking at this and, and seeing who is in this Hall of Fame, and I'll get to my two guys that I want to talk about in a minute. I'm just kind of rambling here. Um, Pat O'Toole, Steve D Dietrich, Bob Watson, Dallas Elliott, Sal Acasio. There's six. Six of 24 are goaltenders. I don't know if that means anything, but it's just kind of interesting to see that six players inducted into the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame are goalies. So what's this year have in store? Who is your choice for people to go into the Hall of Fame? Well, here are two that I would love to see go in. Um, would I like to see Kevin Frenner in, get in? Absolutely. Would I like to see uh, Tracy Kluski and Gavin Proke get in? Absolutely. Great guys. Did a lot for the game. Deserve to be Hall of Fame members. However, how is Casey Powell not in the Hall of Fame? Just a question. Just a question. Only American-born player to win National Lacrosse League MVP award. Let me just read to you an excerpt from Paul Tutka's um, U.S. box, the top 30 Americans of all time. Um, everybody knows that uh, this isn't his stuff. This is my words. Um, everybody knows that Powell was drafted by Rochester first overall in 1998. He spent a couple years in the league, and unfortunately after a, what many people feel is a very, very high hit from Pat Coyle in the playoffs, who was a member of Toronto, Casey Powell kind of, just stepped away from the game. Uh, he resurfaced with me in Anaheim, and he had something to prove. He wanted to prove that he could play the Canadian style of lacrosse and play with the big boys and have an impact. So this is what uh, Tutka had to write. Um, Powell not only absorbed that likely painful punishment, he grew into a legitimate box lacrosse force with every hit, whether clean or crusty. He had gained respect from every player possible, and the numbers he started throwing down each game came at a rate that no one could believe. Powell was now a reliable leader, a feared and flawless forward capable of anything on any other primetime player was. Capable of anything any other primetime player was. Today, Powell is considered the greatest American point producer in NLL history, leading in career goals, assists, and points. He would have done this all had he not taken that somewhat lengthy leave of absence. Maybe, but unlikely. Powell's story is arguably more important to his legacy than the shots he sank, allowing him to redefine his reputation and rank within a sport he was told he wasn't built for. In his career, he had 674 points, the only American-born MVP in NLL history and was the face of a lot of new franchises. 
and was the cornerstone of American box lacrosse players for five, six, seven years. He was kind of surpassed by Paul Rabel at one point, and then Paul Rabel kind of stuck to his field game. But how is Casey Powell not in the Hall of Fame? Well, he didn't play in 2015. He didn't play this year. So maybe, maybe, we can get everybody to jump on this train and get Casey Powell inducted into the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame because it is justly deserved. The other name that I'm going to throw out there is not a player, not a coach, not a GM, but a builder, an executive. And he was the man behind the Calgary Roughnecks. And I speak about Brad Bannister. Now, Brad hasn't been seen in lacrosse circles since he sold the club to the Calgary Flames a few years ago. Completely understandable. But what he did over that first decade plus with the Calgary Roughnecks and building lacrosse in Calgary, getting them into the Saddle Dome, building that fan base, winning two cups. He was the 2003 National Lacrosse League Executive of the Year. Everything he did was just incredible. And, you know, you can't look at too much, but he, you know, it wasn't like he was going and drafting players or any of that. He was an owner and a builder. And he owned and built a championship caliber lacrosse club. He put the right people in place to do their jobs perfectly. He had to make tough decisions when they needed to be made as an owner. But at the end of the day, there wouldn't be Calgary Roughnecks Lacrosse if it wasn't for Brad Bannister. And he did a remarkable job with the Calgary Roughnecks, and I would love to see him get into the Hall of Fame this year. So often we look at people who were on the floor doing things. It's not too often that we look behind the scenes at some of the success that people did. Russ Klein and Chris Fritz were kind of the originators of the old MILL, NLL lacrosse model. That's understandable. The late Les Bartley was a coach with Buffalo and Toronto. Mike French was the man behind the Philadelphia Wings organization for the longest time. Johnny Meridian was a, um, a Philadelphia guy for the longest time. But then... Everybody else are players or general managers plus the two media guys. And I think it's time that we reward somebody who really built a legacy and started the movement of Western-focused lacrosse and lacrosse in Alberta, which has really boomed since the introduction of the Roughnecks. And so Brad Bannister deserves to be in the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame. It's not going to surprise me if Josh Sanderson is a first ballot write-in. That's kind of a given. Uh, and I think that takes away from guys like Prout and Kluski and Kevin Finneran. Um, I still want to see Bergie get in there. Uh, I, 
It still confuses how he's not in. There, there's tons of guys that I would love to see in the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame, and, and it is a very prized possession. It is a monumental achievement. But since 2011, five of those years, we've only inducted one player. And that's because, in my opinion, you know, having to have 75% of the votes, because what they'll do is, is they'll, they'll compile all the nominees. So you already have three in Finner and Kluski and Prout. Now they're going to take all the write-ins from the media, from the fans, from the Board of Governors, and whoever else has contributed options. And they're going to look at them, and then they'll pick, I don't know, five or six more. I'll have a list of anywhere between seven and ten guys that people will have to choose from. The voting Hall of Fame members will be able to choose from. But the issue is a lot of these guys take votes away from each other. And another issue is, is that a lot of the people who are voting now don't know a lot of these old school guys. You know, some media members may not know who Reggie Thorpe is. Some of them may not know Kevin Finneran or Jay Jalbert or Mark Millen, some of these American guys that deserve the recognition for being pioneers. Some of them don't know the old school style of some of these players that are National Lacrosse League legends because they haven't been following the game long enough or involved in the game long enough. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Again, there's already three names going to be on the finalist list. Um, there will be some more added. We'll just have to wait and see. So again, fans, if you want to vote or have a say, go to face, go to the NLL's Facebook, Instagram, uh, or Twitter pages, uh, and use the hashtag NLLHOF and cast your ballot. Let them know who you would like to see in the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame. Who are your favorite players that should be in? Just remember, they have to be retired as a player. Uh, coaches had to have coached um, for eight seasons. They can be active or retired. Officials and executives have to have been in the league for eight years. There will be a lot of names written down and voted in. It will be interesting to see how the NLL pairs this down to a comprehensive list and then who eventually gets in. Uh, you have until July 5th, by the way. And then the Hall of Fame class will be introduced, I believe, in September when they do the NLL Awards Banquet. They all kind of mash them together. So that'll be sometime mid to late September. So we'll just kind of have to wait. Now, we all know we want to see the National Lacrosse League add more teams. And we all know, according to the Commissioner Niksakevich, that in two years, 2018, he is going to add or wants to add one to four more teams. In 2018. So the plan would technically be for either sometime this summer or sometime during next year in 2017, they will announce one, two, three, four teams, whatever they're going to do. Because they want to allow those teams to have time to build, 
time to market, time to grow a fan base, time to build some buzz. All those little things instead of just saying, here you go, the season starts in five weeks. Let's see what you got. That can't happen, and under CNS's watch, it's not going to happen. Now, we also know that Edmonton's a high priority, and it seems like naturally they will be possibly the first team back. And all signs are kind of pointing towards that, but uh, the rumblings that I've heard is that the Oilers Entertainment Group really wants to just kind of sit back and watch the NLL for a bit and do some of their own due diligence and homework and see where they can go. But you would think, and kind of all signs point to Edmonton and the Edmonton Oilers of the National Hockey League and their new Rogers Arena getting a team for 2018. That's all I really know. That's all anybody really knows. That's not even really knowing anything because it's not even anything factual. It's just, well, it's factual because that's what I know. And that's what's sort of been reported. But nobody knows, you know, if there's a list of five teams. Like when the national, and I'm sure this is this could come out in these coming months. And again, we hope to have, I hope to have uh, the commissioner on this show. Uh, I've been promised him. We just kind of have to find a time that works for his schedule. So hopefully that, you know, you know, just like the National Hockey League does, you know, we're looking at City A and City B. And we're going through the process. But I just, I hope they don't keep it a secret. And not just because I want to know things, but fans want to know things. And we want to know the process, and we don't want to. And we want to know what's going on. We want to know who the prospective owners are, and what cities they're thinking about going to, because the list is pages long of cities that CNS wants to go to. You know, you could probably list off fifteen cities in Canada, or ten cities in Canada, and the same fifteen in the states. Okay, maybe not ten in Canada. There's not ten cities in Canada I would want to see the NLL go to, but you know. There are cities that have been mentioned, just like in the U.S. Now, here are two markets in the U.S. that I would love to see the National Lacrosse League go to. One, Dallas. Main reason, Mark Cuban has massively deep pockets. Now, I don't know if Cubes will be the guy, but if you take any stock in what is on Twitter, and not a lot of people do, um... The commissioner just so happened to be in Dallas the other week. And he was taking in some Dallas box locks. And he said he was hanging out with some fans getting ready to play in this beautiful facility. I'm looking at the tweet right now, and it is a beautiful little facility. It's just like a field house you'd see um, in most cities. Nice turf, boards, the whole shebang. Obviously not anywhere that they would be able to play a game. But, you know, he's poking around, seeing what's out there, having meetings. And the growth of lacrosse in Dallas is incredible. The number of guys that are running camps and running programs down there um, is growing month by month, year by year. And so I think putting a team down in Dallas would be great and a nice little spot. You know, get a strong southern base. And I know the National National Hockey League has struggled in the Sun Belt, 
But lacrosse is a different animal, man. It's a different animal. And so Dallas is a city that I would like to see on the list. I think it might maybe even be a priority. You know, there are other big places that the league should get back to. I believe they have to go back to Philly. They should most definitely go back to Minnesota and Edmonton. But if you're looking for cities that haven't had a team and I think would work, Dallas is one of them. Nashville's another one. That's been talked about for years. Now, here's the other one, and this came up in conversation with my good buddy Tyler Hevner. He and I were having some discussions late Sunday night um, of just about things that are going on in the sports world, and we were talking about um, uh, the new hockey team that's going to be in Las Vegas. Now, imagine the National Lacrosse League in Vegas. Yes, it would probably be a complete gong show, and we might lose some of our players for a few days just because they vanished in Vegas. But I truly believe that if a guy can pay, what do you pay, $500 million? Is that what he paid? If he can pay $500 million, he might be able to give like six or seven to the NLL, and we can say, here, you go, you can have a team. Run them both together, make some money on the side. Got a brand new arena. Going to have a brand new NHL team. Why not roll in a brand new National Cross League team as well? I think it could work there. Because if you're going to, if we're going to keep going down this path of the National Cross League being um, a sport with a rock concert involved, because it can work if it's done properly, as I've discussed many times on the show. Like, do you think the atmosphere in Saskatoon would work in Vegas? I do. You think Buffalo, Colorado, Calgary, those atmospheres could work in Vegas? You don't think people would go for that and line up for that? I do. Add another Western team? Right? Like I'm again, I'm just spitballing ideas, and there's been nothing finalized or even said about anything. We don't know if there's a top five on Nick Sakevich's list, if there's a top twenty. We don't know these things. Nothing has been said. That's why I look forward to having him on here because we really want to get some true and straight answers. Yeah, you'd love to be in all these other little cities. But let's let's cut the fringe. Let's start paring it down because as, as much as he is talking to prospective owners and he has his three pillars that he wants, I'm cool with that. But we have to trim the fat. You know, like if Victoria was on the list, I'm cutting Victoria off the list. Like it's not going to happen here. You know, if I keep hearing London, Ontario and Hamilton, I'm sorry, not for me, cutting it from the list. Okay? We need to be in big cities, big NHL owners, big NHL arenas, deep pockets. Passionate owners, passionate fan bases, an arena that's going to work. So let's start trimming that fat. Let's start to work, and this is, again, why I want to talk to him, why we want to have him on the show, is so that we can say, hey, you know what? We know you have a big list, but you got to have them in some sort of order of priority or... Uh, if you've talked to all these people, who's your top five ranked? It's got to have that kind of a list. So, 
Um, that's just some expansion rambles for the day. Um, before I get to uh, the deadline uh, that's slowly approaching in the Canadian lacrosse world, uh, let's dip in to Uncle John's absolutely absorbing bathroom reader book that just always sits here at Zone Control Studios where I record this podcast, and nine times out of ten, it's just sitting there open to a certain page. And we're going to answer some of them. And we're going to read some of them. So here we go. (laughs) Okay. Here we go. The Birthplace of Frosted Flakes, Part 1. Battling in Battle Creek. Cereal flakes were invented by Dr. John Kellogg and his brother Will Kellogg in 1894 at their Battle Creek, Michigan sanitarium. They were experimenting with wheat trying to make a digestible substitute for bread when they accidentally left a batch soaking in water overnight. The next day, they discovered it could be formed and baked into little flakes. After four more years of trial and error, the Kellogg's successfully applied the process to corn. However, they only sold cornflakes by mail as a health food to patients and former patients. Dr. Kellogg wasn't interested in distributing it to the general public. Cornflakes. Who knew? The WLA roster deadline is slowly approaching. It just so happens to be at June on June 30th at midnight that all seven WLA teams must finalize their roster and turn them in. And after that, what you got is what you got. And in talking with some of the GMs, there's not a lot going on. Um, There's some tires being kicked. There's some calls being made. But it truly doesn't sound like there's a lot of action going on. It's not like the BC Junior League where guys are traded as rentals for the summer and they can return to their team the following year. We don't have that in the WLA. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. Doesn't happen. Uh, Maple Ridge has made a few moves. Uh, They brought Sam Cook back. He just hadn't played yet all year. Uh, And they just announced today that they have signed Matt McLeod, a longtime NLLer and a senior B guy. Uh, from back east. He's been kind of going coast to coast doing some schooling and uh, they were able to secure him to a card and he will be on their roster. Um, But no other teams really close or sounding like they're going to make any decisions. So it could be a very, very unexciting roster freeze. Uh, I'm not too sure when the major series freeze is. um, But I imagine it can't be too far behind. But it will be interesting. Um, uh, One guy, one fan asked me if he could see a list of all the holdouts that teams have. Um, That's not readily available. Um, But then when you do that, you'd you'd see some really odd names. Um, I remember I remember one year looking at, uh, I was able to kind of finagle my way into grabbing um, some teams' holdout rosters and, and just looking at them. And, and, you know, when you see, you know, like Coquitlam a few years back had both, had John Grant, Colin Doyle, and Josh Sanderson on their holdout list. I think Sean Williams was even on there too. 
maybe even Kaluski. Like all those Eastern guys that they had their Western rights for are probably on some of those teams' holdout lists, but they'll never come back out here. And so it just just looks weird when you are actually able to see those lists and see some of the names. Like I remember Andy Turner was on Victoria's list for the longest time, even after he had basically moved up to Whistler and said, I'm never playing lacrosse again. They still had him on their holdout list. Um, so that isn't available. Um, teams might make some moves here and there, uh, affiliating with clubs, uh, trying to figure find a team who they want to be aligned with come playoff time. I don't think that has to be announced till a little bit later. Uh, but the, the deadline goes June 30th at midnight. All rosters need to be finalized. And, you know, that's not an easy time for the players. I remember I went through it one time. It was 2003, and uh, we were up in Port Alberni playing a double header. I believe they were North Shore at the time, the North Shore Thunder, before they moved to Kelowna, before they moved to Langley. And we were playing a double header in Port, Port Alberni, which is, for those that don't know, it's like three and a half hours from Victoria up on the west side of the island. So we were doing a little. Uh, weekend doubleheader there. And in the second game, uh, our goalie at the time, Matt Roik, had a bit of a um, malfunction of the brain. Got a little upset with everything that was going on. And after Ray Guze uh, scored a breakaway goal on him and kind of celebrated, uh, Roiker went after him. Uh, wasn't too pleased with Guze scoring the way he scored and celebrating the way he did. And if it wasn't for Ron Corsato, I don't really know what Royker would have done to Guze, but then uh, Royker took a bit of a swipe with his foot towards the referee, and because of that, he got a three-game suspension. And it was right, it was like the weekend before the deadline, and we didn't have any games leading up to it. So I remember I was driving, and our head coach at the time, Walt, Walt Christensen, called me and said, hey, here's the deal. Uh, Royker's been suspended for three games, so we've had to sign a third goaltender. And that third goaltender just so happened to be Dwight Metke. So you have two options. You can either go play senior B in Nanaimo, or we put you on the holdout list and or the injured reserve list, and you can't play until the end of the year, until the Man Cup. No regular season games, no playoffs. You eventually be activated come Man Cup. So... From the end of June, I think it was like June 27th, almost like 13 years ago now, um, I didn't play a, another game. I was at every practice. I was at every game. I traveled to every game, but I never played. And so these are tough times for coaches to have to make these decisions on what to do with guys. And you'll see some, some coaches and GMs get a little creative and try to hide players like they did with me. I wasn't hurt. But I, I just had no want or willing to play senior B up in Nanaimo. I was a shamrock. I always wanted to be a shamrock. I always will be a shamrock. And I said, you know what, Walt? I want to be with this team. I am this team. So put me on the IR. It was maybe one of the worst decisions, yet best decisions I ever made. Um, because, you know, I, I wasn't playing, but I was still involved in one of the greatest teams I was ever a part of. Um Tavares, Veltman, Ryzik, Ward, Ratcliffe, Manning, um, Kyle Cooling. 
the Hamiltons, Dwight Metke, Caleb Toth was on the team, Kelly Hall. Like, we, we were stacked. And we ended up beating Brampton in uh, five games. But I never played from, like, end of June on. So, um, sometimes when you think you're making the right decision, it may not be the right decision, but sometimes you got to go with your heart. So, we'll see what uh, the rest of the NL or sorry, WLA teams do this week with their rosters. We are just two days away from finding out um, officially who their rosters are. Um, BC Junior League teams are shuffling here and there. Delta has made some moves. Coquitlam's made some moves. There are rumblings out of Victoria that Cole Pickup was going to be on the go. That trade fell through. There was also rumblings that um, Nate Wade, I believe, was going to be on the move. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see uh, both sides of Senior A and Junior A what happens. Same with out East. Uh, they, they get close to the roster freeze as well. One last thing before we get you out of here, and it is with... You know, a sad heart that we talk about this, but it was four years ago today that we lost the funny, the talented, the incredible, the loving Chris Sanderson. And it was news that shocked the world of lacrosse, but it was news that unfortunately none of us wanted to hear, but we all kind of knew it would eventually come. First time I met Chris Sanderson was in uh, 1992 when he was a member of the World Under-19 Canada team with my brother, and they played uh, in Long Island. Uh, that was the first experience I ever had with Chris Sanderson, is one I will never forget, uh, standing down on the sidelines, playing catch with him and warming him up before games as a ball boy. Uh, it was incredible to watch his preparation, um, his mannerisms, his attitude, and just his straight love for the game. I ended up playing with Chris uh, as members of the Anaheim Storm. He had a brief stint there. <laughs> and I remember we went to uh, an Anaheim Ducks game as a team, and we had had a lot of pops. Not just a few. We'd had a lot of pops. And uh, <laughs> we're leaving the arena, and he had grabbed a paper that had just been sitting there and we'd just be walking, and we'd be talking, and next thing you know, he kind of rolled the paper up into a little bat, and he'd see something and just give him a smack on the ass. And then just keep walking. No big deal. Next person, wah, 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 right in the backside. And I'm just killing myself laughing. He was just being Chris. And he always had a smile on his face. Uh, he always had time for the kids. He always... Would just had the greatest stories and just a zest for life and a passion for this sport. Um, that smile was infectious. The picture of him and Kyle Miller just resonates in my mind in those blue finished jumpsuits um, with those greasy, greasy mustaches on. It was a sad, sad day uh, when I found out that Chris Sanderson um, had passed away. And I know that Brogan and the girls miss him dearly. Uh, I know everybody in the Sanderson family misses him dearly. And everybody in the lacrosse world that knew Chris and, and had contacts with him and has even a single story about Chris Sanderson misses him. We know he's up there with, with Terry and with Ryan. 
and with Les and with Chris and with everybody that we have lost in this lacrosse world. I hope you're resting easy, Sandy, because we miss you. That'll do it for another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud. Again, my name is Teddy Jenner. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. I'm always there. Come over, say hi. Let me know how things are. And we will get you set for another week in the WLA as the power rankings will come out probably Thursday. Things are heating on both sides of the country, junior and Enjoy the sunshine, everybody. The summer is in full swing. Take a friend to a game, and remember, be excellent to each other.